the Supreme Court has struck down affirmative action. I mean, it's been quite a week at the Supreme Court. In fact, there were four historic rulings, major victories for conservatives, major victories for from Yidden. We were going to break down each of those rulings, but the single most racist policy, perhaps in the history of this country, affirmative action, literally, it tells schools and businesses to judge people by the color of their skin. That's like the exact opposite of what MLK, what Martin Luther King fought so hard to stop. Judge people by their skin color. Do not judge them by the content of their character or their academic merits or qualifications or any of that. Skin color. They shouldn't even know. The admissions people at colleges or hiring people at jobs, for that matter, they should not even know the race. I understand you need it's a technical issue. You need to interview people. So generally you need to see them. But I would actually prefer a system where they don't even know their race so that you assure that it's not any kind of factor. The liberals are frantic. They're trying to defend affirmative action. And like, here's what's so comical. The left, they sound like a bunch of racists. What is their defense? How do you defend? It's indefensible, right? So their only defense is, well, how are blacks going to be able to get into Harvard and Yale? Blacks will not be able to get gain admission into Harvard and into Yale based on merit. So <clears throat> blacks need affirmative action in order to be successful. Blacks need affirmative action in order to compete with white students and white people. Like, could you be any more racist than that? All right, so as I said, four bombshell rulings in the Supreme Court. Two of them will have a major impact on religious freedom, specifically on Frum Yidden. In fact, the Aguda, OU, other Frum organizations got involved in some of these court battles. And one man truly deserves the credit for making this all happen. One man. And I'm not talking about Mitch McConnell. And look, I will give Mitch McConnell a little bit of credit, even though McConnell has turned on Trump big time. But I'll give McConnell, he's such an opportunist because he was not a fan of Trump. Then Trump became president and hired his wife, Elaine Chow, for some high level position in the Trump administration. And then suddenly Mitch McConnell and Trump were best friends. And then, of course, Trump's no longer president and McConnell turns on Trump. But look, he blocked Merrick Garland from becoming the uh, a Supreme Court justice under Obama. He pushed through Coney Barrett at the very last few weeks of the Trump administration. So I'll give McConnell some credit. But President Trump, President Trump, he did not appoint people like Justice Chief, like Justice Roberts. Okay, President Trump appointed very, very conservative. I know some people find Kavanaugh to be a little bit wishy-washy. Trump appointed three very staunch conservatives, and he was he met fierce resistance, and yet he did not back down. Trump is not getting nearly enough credit for the Supreme Court rulings. All right, so let's get into these. Number one, they struck down affirmative action. Number two, uh, the the court expanded the right. The rights of religious people in the workplace essentially means that businesses need to accommodate employees who keep Shabbos and have other religious needs. Companies and businesses are now forced to accommodate those religious needs. That's a big win for religious freedom. Uh, Ruling number three, they struck down Biden's student loan forgiveness. Very exciting. We will get into that. And ruling number four, and by the way, some of these arguments on the left to try to uphold these things is so incredibly bogus. Uh, ruling and hypocritical, I might add. Ruling number four: <clears throat> uh, a web designer for wedding websites d- is not obligated by the state of Colorado to create websites for weddings that go against his religious beliefs. So, great week for the Supreme Court. Great week for Trump. Gets very little credit. We're going to break down each ruling. In fact, you know how Trump gets rewarded for appointing these three Supreme Court justices? He gets indicted. He gets indicted more than once, and who knows what else. They're plotting against him. All right, so let's begin with affirmative action. Affirmative action is racism, plain and simple. It discriminates against white people. It discriminates against Asians. And what is their defense for this 
literally racist, bigoted policy. They say it's not fair to minorities if you judge them based on their merit. And and you know what they keep saying? They keep saying this is necessary. Why, like, why is it necessary? You know, I have a few points here to make about affirmative action, about the politics of it before we get into the actual legal aspect of it. And And by the way, they struck it down on the basis of the Civil Rights Act. So how poetic is that, that the Civil Rights Act is really what they were violating with affirmative action? Pretty astonishing. But why is this necessary? Does anybody believe that Harvard's admission, Yale admission, these woke leftist colleges, you're telling me that they're discriminating against blacks and against Hispanics and against other minorities? They've been discriminating against Asians, which is extremely hypocritical, as we're going to get to. But they're not just the admissions people at Harvard and Yale. And if they are, get rid of them because you're like the most woke leftist college. All you do is spout and spew leftist woke propaganda all day long. So, uh, you know, very, very super liberal socialist um Rhetoric. That's what that's what these colleges are all about. So they are the racists. It doesn't make any sense. And so then now they keep saying, well, but we need to ensure diversity. We need to make sure what are we going to do without affirmative action? How are we going to ensure that there is diversity? So they're not saying, well, Harvard is not allowing people in because they're black, because they know that's an absurd argument at this point. Maybe that was happening 40 years ago. That's not happening nowadays. In fact, like I said, it's the Asians who deserve to be let into Harvard who are the ones who are being uh, kept out. But so now the argument is, but what about diversity? Diversity is not a thing. We don't need diversity. Harvard can be all white. It can be all black for that matter. It can be all Hispanic. It can be all Muslims. Here's what I always say. And I really, truly mean this sincerely. If you told me that every, you told me Harvard, because Harvard and these other colleges, they let people in based on their academic achievement, based on their merit, right? Based on their talents, abilities, grades, whatever. So if you tell me that we judged, we took a pool of a thousand people and the hundred people that were letting into Harvard, I'm just making up numbers here, this coming year are all Muslim. Okay. Assuming that they're upstanding people, assuming that they're decent people and not terrorists or anything like that, then let them in, let them in. Well, you know, we checked the hundred people most qualified to get into Harvard are Hispanics, whatever, or, or, or Asians for that matter. You know, it, it doesn't matter. And I understand that's not happening. There's always going to be some sort of representation. There's like a bell curve, right? But the point is that you deserve to let them in regardless. I don't even want to know their skin color. We shouldn't even we shouldn't even know their race. So diversity. Who says there, need, there doesn't need to be diversity? People should get in because they deserve to get in, period. Diversity is not a thing. It's something that, they, that the left made up because they saw that the minorities were not being allowed in, whether it's a cultural reason or whatever other reasons are. They are not being let in because they don't qualify, and therefore they have to make up excuses and quotas in order to let minorities in. Uh, Obama, by the way, President Obama, in his tweet, and he actually tweeted, put out a tweet condemning the court and eat decision about affirmative action. And even he admitted, he admitted the beginning of the first line of his tweet, Obama admitted that affirmative action is not the answer. And I think he's he and Michelle are saying that they actually benefited from affirmative action. And Ketanji Brown Jackson said the same thing. And listen to Obama, the first line of his tweet that says it all, quote, Affirmative action was never a complete answer in the drive towards a more just society. And then he gives a but, and it's like, whatever the but is, we need to diverse this, that, whatever. But affirmative action was never a complete answer. Like, what How? What a stunning admission. The fact that Obama opens his tweet, his tweet where he's defending affirmative action, and he starts off conceding the point, oh, wait a second, this was never a complete answer. It shows you that even he understands it's indefensible. That's the only reason that he would ever start his tweet that way. But another amazing part of this is, the hypocrisy of the left, they claim to defend Asians, right? They claim that they don't want uh, hate against Asians and racism against Asians, right? Remember how much they condemned and blasted Trump when Trump called the China virus 
the China virus, they said that's racist against Asians. Well, what do you think hurts Asians more? Calling a virus that came from China the China virus or preventing thousands of highly qualified Asian students from attending Harvard, Yale, Columbia, Cornell, and these other schools, okay? So they don't care one bit. These liberals, they tell you that they care about protecting Asians from discrimination. Uh, No, they don't. That is not something, in fact, they have a systemic policy that was specifically designed to discriminate against Asians. As I said, affirmative action violated the Civil Rights Act, which is kind of ironic, kind of poetic. Clarence Thomas made the point, by the way. In in his the, the in his opinion that he wrote, I think you know a couple of different the, the the ruling was six to three, the six conservatives obviously against the three liberal justices, but I think there were a couple of different opinions that were written uh, in in favor of the uh, opinion which was to strike down affirmative action. And Thomas wrote that it actually has the opposite effect, and I'm paraphrasing here. Thomas wrote. Affirmative action, it actually creates more racism, not less racism in the workplace and in schools and everywhere else. Why? Because when a a black person student is allowed into Harvard, right, or when a black person graduates Harvard and then applies for a job and it says on his resume that he's a Harvard graduate. So people kind of roll their eyes and they're skeptical and they wonder, well, did you get in because you're qualified or did you get in because of a quota? Well, okay, maybe they're qualified, maybe they're not, even if they got in because they're qualified, but... You never know. So people are always assuming, oh, okay, well, they got in because of affirmative action. So it actually is counterproductive to what they're trying to accomplish. Let me read you some quotes here from ABC News, as I said, trying to defend this completely racist um, system. ABC, quote, is there evidence that race-conscious policies are working? Many schools, including Harvard and UNC, say consideration of race as a factor uh, in a holistic assessment of applicants is indispensable for building a diverse campus. There you go again, diverse. Uh, well, guess what? I don't care about a diverse campus. Who said that you're – and especially since it's a racist policy which builds a diverse uh, – yeah, obviously, if if your goal is, well, we need to have this number of blacks, this number of Hispanics, this number – we don't care about Asians. Asians, th- there's no quota for them. No, but there's no quota for white people. But obviously, that's going to enhance diversity. That's a no-brainer. But that, that's how they're judging if they're working or not. They're changing the the rules. They're changing the rules. The rules, how do you decide if if affirmative action worked? Well, it it depends what you're trying to accomplish. If you're trying to uh, accomplish fairness and you're trying to have high academic standards, then no, it's a complete failure. But they're saying, well, I'll I'll prove to you they're working because in order to have a diverse campus, you need to make sure there's X amount of blacks and X amount of Hispanics. Well, yeah, obviously. Obviously, if that's how you're going to decide if it's working, well, is it working? Well, what are we trying to do? We're trying to make sure there's a lot of blacks and Hispanics, so it's working. But if you get rid of affirmative action, then it's not going to work because— then how are you going to guarantee that blacks and Hispanics are let in, even though they're not qualified? So it's not going to be working. Yeah, okay, wonderful. Now, it, it, what it violates is the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment and Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits racial discrimination of any in any place that receives federal funding, including private universities. Let me read you again from ABC News here. Quote, what impact will rolling back affirmative action have on higher education? Supporters of the policy say... It will unequivocally mean fewer minority students on the campuses of nation's most selective colleges and universities. That affirmative action students of color will experience an estimated 23 percentage point decline in likelihood of admission. According to one study from 2014, dozens of major companies that employ tens of thousands of workers have told the Supreme Court ending affirmative action would undermine recruitment of diverse highly educated job candidates, and in turn, it will hurt profits. I mean, could you be any more racist than this where you say, look at this, 23% fewer minorities are going to be allowed into these highly selective colleges and universities if you judge them based on merit and not based on skin color, and you don't force the schools to accept them 
based on quotas. It's just it's unreal. I mean, it's just you can't make this stuff up. It's it's ludicrous. And then they suddenly care about profits now. Profits are going to go down. Well, you can't you can't. This is not fair to companies because companies want to hire black. No, don't ask me why. If they don't hire as many diverse people, profits are going to drop. I feel like that's self-fulfilling. It's like, well, we're going to call these companies racist in order to drum up issues. And then the company's profits decrease. And then we say, well, you, you, it's because they're not diverse. Well, you created that mess to begin with. But putting that aside, it's like suddenly they care about profits. These liberals who like all they try to do is crush profits. I mean, for with, in every use of climate, COVID and any other possible excuse they could come up with to hurt companies. Suddenly capitalism is the argument in favor of affirmative action. Can't make it up. But putting that aside. Let's even assume that's right. Okay, let's even say that's true. That, that that doesn't matter. You can't be racist and say, well, I'm going to discriminate against whites and against Asians because it's going to hurt these companies' profits otherwise, assuming that would even be true, which I don't believe. Bottom line is there's zero legal justification to allow affirmative action. It is incredibly, incredibly racist. And by the way, the majority of the country opposes affirmative action, and that includes blacks and Hispanics. Literally, I'm going to read you a stunning uh a study here, studying stunning data from a Pew Research Center study from this year. Um, the majority of blacks and Hispanics oppose the use of race as a factor in admissions decisions. Uh, a Pew Research Center study found 68% of Hispanics, 63% of Asian Americans, 59% of African Americans oppose the use of race or ethnicity in college admissions. So they don't want it. Okay, they don't want to be treated like second class citizens. They don't want to keep being told that they need quotas and policies in order, racist policies in order to uh, gain acceptance into these colleges. They don't want to be treated like victims. Okay, and people who are second tier and people who are incapable of succeeding on their own. That's a tactic of the left. The left likes to keep minorities reliant on them because their entire brand, the whole left, their entire mission, the the way that they're able to win and keep control of society is by taking advantage of minorities. So their whole game is let's convince the minorities that they cannot succeed on their own. It's a tactic of the left. People like Trump, people like Ben Carson, you know, people like Clarence Thomas and, and Colin Powell and other conservative blacks, they what they actually try to build up black people. They actually say to black people, listen, you can do this. You don't need to live off government programs your whole life. You actually can succeed on your own. The left is busy squashing them down. All right, next ruling, student loans. This is amazing. Another ludicrous argument. Okay, and thankfully, Biden's student loan forgiveness, which would have been hundreds of billions of dollars, just wasted. And it doesn't. This doesn't even help low-income people. Doesn't even help minorities. That's what's amazing about the student loan forgiveness is is, is Biden's actually helping like middle-class college graduate graduates. So like this doesn't even fit at all with the leftist agenda, except Ocasio and Bernie Sanders and the socialists. They just pushed this through, rammed this down the country's throat and said, we need to, 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 to forgive student loans. So what do they say? They say that the secretary of education, from a legal standpoint, has the right to basically cancel any loan that they want at their discretion. OK, not only is it ridiculous, but Nancy Pelosi herself said this is not true. Back in 2021, Nancy Pelosi and the, just, the justices, in their opinion, in their ruling, they actually quoted uh, Nancy Pelosi from 2021 admitting that the president, I'm sorry, that the secretary of education doesn't have the right to just cancel student loans. We'll read you the wording. This is based on the HEROES Act. We'll get into that in a moment. But listen to this clip. This is actually a clip of ABC's Jonathan Carl um, questioning a Democrat congressman, Ro Canna, okay, about Nancy Pelosi. So I want you to listen 
to this clip. But the argument that the court's making is that the HEROES Act does not give the president the authority to rewrite uh, student loans. Uh, in fact, this was a position essentially that was taken uh, by Nancy Pelosi. I know you've called for, for the president to, uh, to forgive $50,000 uh, in student debt through executive uh, action. Uh, take a look at what Nancy Pelosi had to say about that just two years ago. People think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone, he can delay, but he does not have that power. That would has to be an act of Congress. And the Supreme Court decision quoted those words. Speaker Pelosi took that position before the president asked for a legal analysis on the HEROES Act. <laughs> before the president asked for a hero, a legal, uh, uh, she's quoting the law. She knows the law because she was in Congress. She's been in Congress since they passed every law in the last 50 years because she's been in Congress quite a long time. And But then after the president did an analysis, Pelosi, then suddenly she's going to change her tune there. And so, uh, like she hasn't she hasn't retracted. So that whole point, that whole argument makes zero sense. Well, before the president did an analysis. Now the president did an analysis. Now Nancy Pelosi came to her senses. No, she actually read the bill, knew what was in the bill. And I'm no fan of Nancy Pelosi, as you know. But if she herself conceded this, and the president and secretary of education, it's the same difference because secretary of education is a member of the executive branch. So essentially what this whole notion about student loan forgiveness it really proves one thing, which is never let a crisis go to waste, right? That's what Rahm Emanuel said. That's been the doctrine of the Democrat Party forever, which is never let a crisis go to waste because they literally tried to use COVID as a pretext. And if you look at how this all unfolded, it's it's based on the HEROES Act. I'm going to read you the what the HEROES Act is and what the original purpose was and how the Democrats have totally tried to manipulate and exploit the HEROES Act and COVID in order to do massive student loan forgiveness. It's pretty it's astonishing when you look at how it all played out. So here's a quote. Uh, let me read you here. Co- Congress passed the first version of the HEROES Act in 2001 after the 9-11 attacks to allow the education secretary to waive or modify provisions of student loan programs for those who were affected by the 9-11 attacks. Congress expanded the law in 2003 so that the secretary could provide relief for homeowner for borrowers affected by war or military operations or a national emergency. And the secretary of education would have the discretion to do that, to waive certain rules to delay the payback of loans, et cetera. The, the Congress made the act permanent in 2007. The law defines an affected individual as someone serving in active duty or the National Guard during a war uh, someone uh, or during a national emergency, someone who lives or works in an area declared a disaster area by federal, state, or local officials in connection with an emergent, national emergency or someone who suffered direct economic hardship as a result of war or other military operation or national emergency. So uh, the Education Department's Office of General Counsel during the Trump administration concluded that the Secretary of Education did not have the authority under the HEROES Act to forgive or cancel federal student loans. Okay, so what they're saying is, and there's a quote here, the quote is that the Secretary of Education can waive certain provisions. Okay, I have to find the wording here. I don't know if I have the, oh, here we go. Um, Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, he wrote this uh, ruling, and he said that the HEROES Act gives the Secretary of Education the power to, quote, waive or modify laws and regulations government, governing student loan programs. But he said the word modify means by administration can make modest adjustments and additions to existing provisions, not transform them. And he said in terms of waiving, it doesn't mean that the Secretary is able to waive the loan. The, the Secretary of Education can waive laws and regulations relating to the student loan program. She can't cancel the loan. She can't forgive the loan, he or she. 
So that's the absurdity of this is that they're arguing. And, and Nancy Pelosi, she herself said it. She herself said it. So here's what happens, okay? Post 9-11, this is the classic Democrat playbook. Post 9-11, they give the president additional powers. Those were needed, of course. And then they keep expanding the power, expanding the power, giving the president and the executive branch even more control. And then COVID comes along and they try to completely abuse this law, twist the law around, manipulate and mutilate the law. And thankfully, the Supreme Court has struck it down. Let me read you a quote here. Quote, Roberts rejected the Biden administration's contention that the Secretary of Education has the power to waive laws and regulations relating to the student loan program. When the secretary invoked the power in the past, he's done so for a specific legal requirement, such as the requirement that a student provide a written request for a leave of absence. But in this case, Roberts noted the secretary has not indicated that he's waiving a specific provision. Again, Congress, the HEROES Act doesn't give the education secretary the right to waive the loan. They can waive a provision. Okay, paying back the loan is not a provision. It's not like a loophole or a technical detail of the loan. That is the loan. The loan means that you're borrowing the money. You need to pay back the money. Roberts also rebuffed the Biden administration's argument that the debt relief program is consistent with the purpose of the HEROES Act to give the education secretary the power to provide relief to borrowers during a national emergency. So this is very interesting. Roberts said that the question even is not within the spirit of the law, meaning Biden argued that the whole point of the HEROES Act was we need to give people relief and COVID relief, student loan borrowers need COVID relief. Now, it's an absurd notion. You can't just wholesale, just give hundreds of billions of dollars of tax dollars away because you decided that they need it based on COVID. But, but And it's not even true. They don't need it because of COVID. That, that's literally manufactured. As, and we know, we know that. We know that. We know it's just a, it's just a lame excuse or pretext. But, by, but, but Roberts, he's saying, let's assume you're right. This is his argument, which is interesting. Let's assume you're right. Let's assume the Biden administration is correct that there's a need. He's like, it doesn't matter if there's a need. They don't have that authority. He says, unless Congress actually passed a law that said the education secretary has the authority to just cancel loans at will for any reason they want, unless Congress says that you don't have that authority. So even if Biden would be right, which I would add he's not, that this goes in line with the purpose of the HEROES Act. And like I said, it doesn't. But even if it did, Roberts is like, it doesn't matter because you just don't have that kind of authority. The question is not whether your reasoning or, or your logic is in line with the law. It's the law itself. And the HEROES Act never, ever gave them the ability to cancel the law. They could just waive specific provisions. Next case, uh, businesses must accommodate religious employees. This is a huge win for freedom of religion. This was a unanimous ruling, by the way. And essentially, what's interesting about this is it's the right of the business versus the right of the individual. Because on the one hand, the business says, listen, we, we might get hurt by employees getting carried away with freedom of religion. And the individual is saying, well, listen, I have a right to practice religion and I have a right to work for this company and they have to make certain accommodations. So that's what's really fascinating about this. The fact that it was a unanimous decision, all the justices agreed that the freedom of religion of the individual actually in this case outweighs, and it doesn't mean that a company has to go bankrupt, as we're going to explain. But that's what's fascinating. And like I said, this is a huge win for from Yidin, and it, there's no contradiction here because the government cannot tell a company or a university, well, you have to accept certain minorities. We, we're forcing you to hire this person or that person because in that sense, the business does have certain freedoms, but it, it, not at the expense of an, an individual's freedom of religion. That's what's really fascinating. So employers now will have to meet a higher standard to deny religious accommodations in the workplace. They essentially overturned a precedent which stated that any minimal hardship that was caused to a company is uh, is enough to allow the company to not accommodate Shabbos observance and other related religious observances. The court clarified a previous legal standard, which only required employers to demonstrate a minimal 
cost in order to deny a worker's request for religious accommodation. Now they're saying employers must show that the burden of granting an accommodation has substantial increased costs relative to the conduct of the particular business. This case was Groff versus DeJoy, came to the Supreme Court after a Christian postal worker who actually was forced to quit sued the Postal Service uh, and said that they didn't accommodate his religious rights. He wanted to observe, I guess, his Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath, if you'll pardon that expression. The OU and others actually submitted amicus briefs supporting this, and this was also based on the Civil Rights Act. Uh, Very interesting. Gerald Groff argued his job did not allow him to observe his Sabbath and that he was punished, and it's not just uh, Shabbos observance or whatever the equivalent is that's going to be affected, I'm reading here, by this ruling, all sorts of religious accommodations that are tied to work schedule, dress, and other you know things related to religion. It could include the ability of a Muslim woman to wear a hijab or a Christian person uh, to attend various religious functions or an employee's decision to refuse vaccines on religious grounds. The historical standard of religious accommodation draws from Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, which requires employers to show that an employee's request for religious accommodation would create an undue hardship in order to deny it. The Supreme Court undercut this standard in 1997 when it ruled in TWA versus Hardison that employers needed to prove that they face more than minimal cost to deny a religious accommodation. Just more than minimal cost. Very interesting. Legal, legal experts pointed out most people understand undue hardship to mean more than just a minimal cost. Even as some lower courts clung to this phrase, the Supreme Court now said, interpreting Hardison primarily through the minimal standard interpretation was a mistake. Joshua McDaniel, director of Harvard University's Religious Freedom Clinic, submitted an amicus brief on behalf of the Muslim Public Affairs Council. He said, quote, this decision is especially important for religious minorities like Muslims, Jews, and Sikhs, who are predominantly the plaintiffs in these cases. He pointed out Muslims made up less than 1% of the general population, but bring more than 18% of all Title VII religious accommodation claims. This decision will give those religious minorities a fair shot in court, and one would hope encourage more employers to adopt more inclusive workplace policies so that religious employees would not have to choose between their livelihood and their faith. And let me read you here. The Aguda and the OU both put out statements applauding and praising the court, the ruling here. So let me read you from Aguda, quote, Aguda Cisrael of America is hailing the U.S. Supreme Court's landmark ruling that enhances the protection afforded to religious employees under the Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. The unanimous decision in the case of Groff versus DeJoy effectively overturns close to 50 years of court decisions that undercut religious observance, including Sabbath observance of Americans in the workplace. For decades, Aguda Cisrael has worked in Congress, state legislatures, and the courts for the outcome of today's decision. The case involved an evangelical Christian mailman, again quoting, who resigned from the U.S. Postal Service after facing disciplinary action, arising from his refusal to work on Sundays and sued the Postmaster General for damages. The lower courts dismissed the claim, citing the statutory standard that an employer is required to reasonably accommodate an employee's religious practice unless that was would impose an undue hardship on the employer. And the 1977 T.W. Avers Hardison case, where undue hardship was defined as merely more than minimal cost or more than a trivial burden, and the Groff decision Supreme Court rejected the weak protection afforded by the standard instead to clarify that undue hardship is to be defined as substantial increased costs in relation to the conduct of an employer's particular business. The repudiation of the more than minimal standard was the major goal of the amicus curiae brief authored by Nathan Lewin um, on behalf of the National Jewish Commission on Law and Public Affairs, which was joined by a good Soul of America and a number of other Jewish organizations. Noted by the court, the more than minimal standard has harmed Countless Americans of faith, including Orthodox Jews, in the decades since Hardison was decline, uh, de- decided, 
The OU applauded the ruling. Quote, in the ruling issue today, the Supreme Court clarified a precedent from 1977, which had been misinterpreted by lower courts and often functionally allowed employers to refuse to accommodate employees' requests for religious accommodations. The 1977 ruling interpreted Title VII of the Civil Rights Act only to require employees, employers to provide such accommodations in doing so would not impose anything more than a minimal expense, as I've said before. Today, the Supreme Court clarified that courts and employers should understand Title VII standards of undue hardship does not mean minimal. And uh, Nathan Diamond, co-author of the brief and OU's executive director for public policy, said, quote, for decades ever since the Supreme Court issued its terrible ruling in the Hardison case, the Orthodox Union advocated for that ruling to be reversed or revised, forcing American Jews or Americans of any faith to choose between their career and their conscience is fundamentally at odds with the principle of religious freedom that is the foundation of the U.S. and, con- and its Constitution. We regret that it had taken so long, but we are grateful that the Supreme Court has finally righted the wrong of Hardison and has reinstated the full right of religious accommodation in the workplace, end quote. And finally... The fourth Supreme Court ruling, wedding websites, the question involves a Colorado law which forces businesses to accommodate all customers. And the law requires businesses to serve customers of any race, religion, gender. It prohibits denial of service because of a customer's religion, race, gender, disability, or other characteristics. And that includes their morality, okay, their religion, their morality, their moral choices that they make. So essentially, if a customer comes in, and it doesn't mean, you know, am I allowed to, if I sell hammers, if, I'm a, if I own a hardware store, and somebody with whom I don't agree, an atheist or somebody who lives in a moral lifestyle, wants to buy a hammer, nobody's talking about that. But they're talking about making websites for weddings, and the weddings are immoral. And the problem is that this Colorado law basically wanted to force businesses to accommodate such a thing. There was a similar uh, court case a few years ago in Colorado of a baker, and they wanted a certain type of wedding cake. And the baker said, goes against my religion. Same thing here with these wedding websites. So that infringes on a business's freedom of religion. And Justice Neil Gorsuch, uh, in, in his ruling, in his opinion, he wrote, quote, uh, Colorado cannot force an individual to speak in ways that align with its views, but defy her conscience about a matter of major significance. He indicated the court's decision would provide similar protection to other business owners whose services involve speech, such as artists, speechwriters, and movie directors. Essentially, this is freedom of speech. So this is actually First Amendment ruling where they're saying that um, if I'm somebody who bakes cakes or if I'm an artist or if I design websites, I believe baking cakes is included in this, then uh, I have freedom of religion. And that means if you come to me and you want me to put together a website as a customer that I don't believe in, then you're actually infringing on my freedom of speech. So they're not calling it freedom of religion. They're calling it freedom of speech. But either way, it amounts to the same idea. All right. Four very exciting rulings. Very, very big week for Jews, for our community, for the from world, for President Trump, for the Supreme Court and for conservatives in general. That's going to do it for today. And we will see you next time.